What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I gotta tell you about Manscaped because, guys, it's summer bod season, and Manscaped is an essential part of having that summer bod ready to go because you gotta be ready above the belt and below the belt to ensure your post-quarantine bod is ready for the wild. And also, of course, you know about the fantastic Lawnmower 3.0 with 90-minute battery. It's got that LED light. It's waterproof. They spent 18 months making it the perfect razor. But make sure to use their Crop Cleanser, which is great for your hair and skin, helps it feel healthy and fresh, and also the perfect package. You'll also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer, which is very important in the summer months as well. So check out Manscaped, get the Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with both of those products and the Lawnmower 3.0. And guys, make sure to check out the Shed Travel Bag, and you can get that for free if you sign up right now for a limited time. Subscribers get two free gifts, including that Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reducing chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So how do you do that and get 20% off? Use that magical code DNVR20 at manscaped.com and you'll get free shipping. So do yourself a favor, get the job done right, check out Manscaped, and use that magical code DNVR20. All right, Mace, let's hop into the show. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high, the best part of the weekend. Hugging they become a friend Having a good time when the orange and blue W-I-N Tuning in every day with the good folks down DNVR Welcome, welcome, welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this fabulous Friday edition. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason. And before we hop into what's going to be a very fun show, got to tell you about our friends over at MSU Denver Online. Of course, the presenting sponsor of the DNVR Broncos podcast. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. Now, we have a few people at DNVR taking classes at MSU Denver Online. And the two things that they say is, first, it's convenient. You can do it whenever you want. It fits your schedule. So if you're a busy professional, you can work in classes or a full program at MSU Denver. And the second thing they say is they cater to what you are going to be doing after you graduate, after you earn that degree. So it's no BS. They teach you exactly what you need to know. So go check them out at msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer, including over 40 online and hybrid programs and 750 classes. So check them out, msudenver.edu slash online. My boy, Mace, how are you doing today on this fired up bum talk fun Friday? That's a lot. Fired up, bum talk, fun. <laughs> I don't know if I'm capable of getting to all three of those today, but uh, 
So which direction maybe, are we maybe going? Maybe a couple of them. Yeah, <laughs> I can get to maybe two out of three, like Meatloaf said back in the day. Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> uh, unless you're on uh, MSU Denver online, 66% probably is not going to cut it. Uh, no, that's, I believe, a, uh, a middle D. But you know what? As we saw in Tommy Boy, a D is passing. <laughs> Ds get degrees, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people were in college for seven years. Yeah, they're called doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope, uh, I hope those are the people that are in there for seven years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And Mace, we have uh, a pressing issue that we need to talk about. John Elway talked about another quarterback on the team, Drew Locke, when we talked to him earlier this week. And John kind of uh, dumped cold water on the party. He, he tempered the expectations for Drew Locke this year. As we're getting so pumped about what this offense could be, John Elway, John Elway said, slow down there, and literally were, used the word temper when asked, with everything going on this offseason, if it's fair in his first year that expectations need to be tempered, John said, yeah, they're definitely tempered. I don't think we can expect with no offseason for us to come out and be hitting on all cylinders. I know that we've spent a lot of time in Zoom meetings, and Pat Shermer and his staff on the offensive side has spent a lot of time with it, but there's nothing like being on the practice field. It's going to be a slow build. The expectations of Drew, I mean, he did play well for five games, but that was only five games last year. He didn't have the offseason this year, which was young football players is very, very important. I know he spent a lot of time throwing to the receivers and getting the timing and doing what could be done away from the facility, but we're very young on the offensive side. With the way training camp is set up, I always remember as a rookie, it was important for me to see other helmets and not just Bronco helmets, but to see other helmets to get used to and realize, hey, they're in the NFL now. With our young team, that doesn't help us. I was hoping for a couple preseason games just because we were so young on the offensive side to get to see someone else. We're going to have to deal with it. It's wor this world is adjusting, so we'll just adjust to that. The mature kids will come in and do everything they can to get up to speed. But again, they're going to be young guys without an off-season program. We definitely have to give them some rope and temper it a little bit and take it one practice at a time. What do you hear when John says that? Well, I hear that, but I, I also hear Vic Fangio talking later in the same conference call about finding balance on offense. And I hear these two football guys expressing a belief that you know what this offense it's not going to be all that everyone hopes it's going to be in year one of Pat Shermer and year one in terms of a full year for Drew Locke and I think everybody needs to kind of have reasonable expectations actually one of the things I did as I was just briefly getting ready for this sack is I went back through pro football reference with your dear friend of mine. And I said, okay, over the last decade, I want to find out about all of the quarterbacks who started at least 16 games in their first two seasons in the NFL. Okay. So their rookie okay. season, their second year, they started at least 16 games. How did they fare? And it was kind of, it was kind of interesting to see over the last 10 years, Zach, the average passer rating 
of rookie and second year quarterbacks who started who started their first six, who started 16 games in their first 16 games the average passer rating was 83.3 okay. okay and pretty tempered that, yeah that's pretty tempered by the way among all the quarterbacks with at least 200 attempts last year all 33 an 83.3 rating would have placed you 28th out of 33 right Ooh. behind Jameis Winston in his 30 picks hmm. now let's assume that uh, Drew Locke is now I took those I took those numbers and then I said okay give me you know the overall numbers do it on a per 16 game basis and came out and came out with an average of 60 percent completion percentage as part of it I thought okay Drew Locke even though my expectations are tempered 64 percent I think we can expect in completion percentage right given what what he showed last year yeah a game plan playing within himself yep so okay if he has 512 attempts, if he completes 64%, that's 328. And if he has the exact average per completion of every first, second-year quarterback in their first 16 starts over the last 10 years, he would have 11.6 yards per completion. That put him at 3,792 yards, 21 touchdowns, 14 picks. If you're, again, going by the rate established by all those other quarterbacks in the last decade, and 88.6 rating. That's average, okay? So mm-hmm. I think the thing is, there's a lot of optimism for Drew Locke. But, I th- but my expectations have always been pretty reasonable. That if he is middle of the curve, maybe a little bit better for uh, among first and second year guys over the last 10 years, I'm pretty happy with it. This puts him on the upper side of the curve of, of those guys. And I think it's perfectly reasonable in, in this scheme, even with no offseason. So... I don't feel like my expectations are changed that much, but how about you? Yeah, my expectations, you know, it's when I think with a clear head, I think I have pretty similar expectations for what John's thinking. And that is an average quarterback, maybe slightly below average. But when, when you get excited about all the weapons that it has, that Drew has and this offense has, you can think, oh, man, Drew can be a top 10 quarterback this year. And that's, I think, what John's saying needs to be roped in and come back is not a top 10 quarterback. So let's look at some of those average-type quarterbacks from last year. Uh, And I'm going to start with Baker Mayfield, who, uh, in terms of yards, was 14th last year. Now, Baker threw for 3,800 yards, 22 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. Obviously not the touchdown-to-interception ratio you're looking for, but Below him, Kyler Murray threw for 3,700 yards, kind of the numbers that you were saying, Mace. 20 touchdowns, 12 picks. Okay, now we're getting into the territory you're talking about. And and Kyler, of course, a 16-game starter. This will be Drew's first year being a 16-game starter, Kyler being a young guy. So that's probably the case that you most want to look at. Now, of course, the Arizona Cardinals went 5-10, and But the Broncos have a much better defense than that. So that could prove to be a way better record for the Broncos, that sort of stat line. Kyler threw for 64% completion and had a quarterback rating of 87. So Mace, I think that's exactly where our numbers line up. And Kyler Mm -hmm. was an average quarterback last year. And you can say, well, Kyler was a rookie when he did that. Drew's now a second year guy. But essentially, 
Drew is, you know, yes, he, he does have more of an advantage than a true, true rookie. This is his first 16 games as a starter. It's a new offensive system. He's got so many new weapons uh, and offensive linemen around him. It's essentially his first season in the league. So, Mace, I think that's where we're looking right now is Kyler Murray from last year. And how are the Cardinals feeling about Kyler Murray going into year two after a full year under his belt? Exactly. They're ecstatic. And the thing is, over the last decade of the 32 quarterbacks that started 16 or more games in their first couple in their first two seasons in the league of those in those first 16 starts, Kyler Murray, that passer rating, those numbers he mentioned, that passer rating is ninth of those 32 quarterbacks over the last decade. And it's right. It's right there. It's it's just behind Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield, just ahead of Marcus Mariota. Jared Goff, Teddy Bridgewater, Cam Newton. I mean, first of all, it's a it's a bit it's a bit better of a season the Broncos have gotten from their quarterbacks over the last four years. So you are talking about a scenario, Zach, where the Broncos have improved the efficiency of their quarterback play, even yeah. with a young guy like Drew Locke. <laughs> yeah. The future is still bright. I think yeah. what we're doing is I think what we're doing is we're slowing the roll on the whole thing about, okay, can he be an MVP candidate? Like some breathless prognosticators have have said, no, I I think that's where everyone's just kind of got to pull back a little bit here. Say, okay, where does he go? And where does it compare to what the Broncos have endured the last four years? And if he has the type of season that you're talking about, the cut like Kyler Murray did last year, if he has that 88.6 rating that I'm kind of pointing to and is, again, in the middle of the pack of starting quarterbacks in the league, frankly, I'm, I'm ecstatic. And I'm, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what the Broncos' outcome is as a team. I'm saying – He's got at least 2021 and certainly 2022. You just go ahead and tie yourself to Drew Locke through, and through the length of his contract and let him, and, and see if he can take those next steps. And if he does, you happily write that big, fat check. Yeah, and it's and, time to get past his contract. And Mace, I think something that also happens throughout the season is that while those may be the ending numbers – Maybe you see the first four games, Drew come out, throw four touchdowns and four picks. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, this isn't good. But then the last 12 games, he comes out and throws 16 touchdowns uh, and eight interceptions. And that's kind of what you're looking at. Maybe it even takes half the season for him to really get up to speed with his guys. And, And it's eight touchdowns, eight interceptions the first eight games. And then the second eight games, it's 12 touchdowns to four interceptions. And that's what you look at. You don't necessarily look at the full numbers of the season. You look and say, okay, once he got his bearing straight, then he was this type of quarterback who averaged two to one touchdown, three to one touchdown to interception ratio. And that's the Drew Locke that we think we're getting for the future. Then it's full steam ahead in 2021. And that's when you're saying, Okay, Drew, if you make it through this year at that three to one touchdown to interception ratio, if you're at 30 touchdowns to 10 picks in 2021, all right, big check 
coming your way. Half a billion dollars. Okay, maybe not that much. Maybe not the Patrick Mahomes deal. But, I mean, a huge contract coming his way. So, while – and, Mace, you and I aren't saying that we're so, so thrilled with 20 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. But especially if it looks like that where he ends hot – and I'm not just saying the last two games, but eight or 12 games of the season he ends well – then you're saying, okay, this is it. This is the guy that they're comfortable with. Actually, I'm not even going to say 20 and 12. I'm going to say 21 and 14. And actually, that's, it's interesting to consider that, Zach, because 21 to 14 means three touchdowns for every two picks. Yep. So in addition to some of the overall numbers, I think maybe a couple of numbers that you look at and say, okay, you're fine with especially given what style of quarterback Drew Locke is, because I think with him, you're going to live, you're going to live with some mistakes in order to get something spectacular. I think what you want to see with Drew Locke is at least a three to two touchdown interception ratio. So again, that's 21, that's 21 to 14. That's 24 to 16, something like that. Right. And then, Completion percentage, I think, is key for Drew Locke because last year fared very well when he came in. Now, you had Rich Gangarello giving him the type of game plan with which he could work and keeping within a lot of constraints last year. But still, Drew Locke sitting, sitting there with those, five start, with those five starts that he had, and he had – a completion percentage of 64.1. So I, and he was in the 64% range, the back half, the back half of that season of that uh, senior season at Missouri, when he was working in Derek Dooley's offense that had more pro style concepts. So, you know what? I want to see 64% in completion percentage. I want to see three touchdowns for every two picks. And if he does those two things, I think it's all going to take care of itself in the long haul and he'll be exactly where you want to be. And then next year, I'd like to see him go from a, you know, from a, a ratio of three touchdowns for every two picks to two touchdowns for every one interception that he throws. Yeah. So go from three to two, say 21 to 14 to two to one, say 22 to 11. Yep. Something like that. Yep, exactly, Mason. And people may be saying, we want the instant gratification like Patrick Mahomes brought. And maybe Drew turns around and does that this year. But sometimes it takes quarterbacks a while. And Drew, we haven't even seen struggles with. So it's it's not going to take that long. But John Elway is a guy that took quite some time, was getting booed off the field. Didn't he have a game where he had like one completion, was one for eight or something like that? And it was just terrible uh, those are things you need to keep in mind is even though some people out there are saying drew for mvp it's it's okay if it's a 20 to 12 touchdown to interception ratio and mace i think the numbers that you set are kind of the the baseline that i want to see i i don't think you can really accept anything much lower than that but if it is that people need to be ready for that now especially with john saying that those need to be tempered and something else that I want to see is some rugby in Colorado. And guys, rugby is the place to be. 
and Colorado is the place to see rugby because it was just announced that Infinity Park in Glendale will be the new official training center for men's and women's USA Eagles 15 teams. That means that Colorado is the place for rugby in the United States. So make sure you're keeping up to speed with us and Colton Strickler on DNVR Rugby Podcast and DNVR Rugby on Twitter and on thednvr.com is where you can find all of our rugby coverage. So make sure to check him out. Colton does a great job breaking down the game, breaking down exactly what's going on in the entire sport and country of rugby. So check him out on Twitter, DNVR Rugby, on podcast, DNVR Rugby, and on thednvr.com. Well, before I tell you about Breckenridge Brewery, I got to make one more point on our conversation. And that is, I think if you're looking at Drew Locke in year two and a reasonable expectation, we talked about Kyler Murray. I would say, don't forget about Josh Allen in Buffalo as well. Yeah. And what he did in year two. And actually his passer rating wasn't great, but he was able to make some things happen with his legs, do some dynamic things. And of course, Buffalo came out with a very good season in part because they had a great defense to go along with it. So if the Broncos defense carries things and Drew Locke has some good and some bad and some promise like Josh Allen did, you're pretty happy with that. And if that's the sort of thing that transpires in 2020, you're going to want to celebrate with a Breckenridge Brew, the official beer of DNVR, maybe have a Mm -hmm. strawberry sky to toast to the progress of the Broncos terrific young quarterback. Of course, if you're in Denver, you can get more than just some brew. You can get, some food, the farmhouse, the restaurant that Breckenridge Brewery has down at the facility in Lilton. It's hopping, and they need your help to keep it kicking during this crazy time. If you order your meal and beer from the farmhouse, you can use that magical code DNVR and get $5 off your meal, 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. to pick up. They'll bring it right out to your car for you. If you just want some brew, no sweat in the Denver area, and points beyond, you can get that 15-can sampler, get a little bit of everything if you can't decide which one you want. If you're, of course, you can get it. Davidson's Liquors, our friends down in Centennial and Highlands Ranch if you're in the Denver area. But if you're outside, check out that Breck Beer locator on Breckenridge Brewery's website. Find out the nearest outlet that has those delicious Breckenridge Brews. Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of the NBR. Great stuff, Mace. Let's talk to the people. First comment in our comment section coming in from Lock the Casbah. Glad to hear you guys talk about Vaughn and where he'll be on the all-time sack list. I think 150 sacks is reasonable, but even if he can hit at least 142, very achievable, he'd still be number sixth on the list and ahead of some all-time great players like Strahan and Lawrence Taylor. Vaughn has also only played 135 games. Everyone else anywhere near Vaughn on the list have all played at least 150. So Vaughn's pace throughout his career is solid too. Also, while we're talking about the delay at which players test positive for COVID, there was a John Hopkins study that showed that even eight days after symptoms appear, a whopping 20% of tests were false negatives and the numbers got worse the sooner you test. So It could be that players will play week one, then a chunk of those who contract COVID, if any, will test negative, but then they'll go on to play the following week anyway. It's definitely worrisome, and I'm crossing my fingers. Totally agree about that. Still so much unknown. And he goes on and says, how do we feel about Damian Williams opting out in terms of impact on the Broncos, considering they have Edwards Hilaire, probably pretty minor. So Mace will answer that one right now. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to touch on COVID as well, because, of course, this morning we learned that there are positive coronavirus tests on the St. Louis Cardinals in Major League Baseball. So another series has been called off the Brewers Cardinals series this weekend. And so now you're looking at a scenario where three teams have had positive tests since Major League Baseball started that have resulted in game postponements slash cancellations. The Marlins, the Phillies, the Cardinals. And you know what? If I'm the NFL, I'm watching this. I'm starting to work on those contingency bubble plans right now. Yeah, yeah. Even, if, think, it, even if it means a delay. I, this, this is starting to get out of hand here. It shows what we've seen so far yeah. is bubbles work right. and no bubbles don't work. And as, as Locke the Casbah pointed out, you can have false negatives and uh, eight days after symptoms appear, you can, it's taking, it takes a while sometimes for infection to result in a positive test. I mean, we had the Phillies, they look, you know, after they were around the Marlins over the weekend, look good for a couple of days, but then you had a coach and a clubhouse attendant test positive resulting in postponements for them. So yeah, if it, it, the NFL has had a chance to look at, at now the all the other three sports at least getting things started and if they're if they're not thinking about a bubble right now i think they're on a fool's errand yeah and again mace just like we've talked about it yeah. doesn't have to and it shouldn't be a six month bubble you got to get creative right now it would and in that case it would be a, sh- a shortened season just just start thinking just start thinking about it. i'm not saying do it but start kind of laying the groundwork saying okay if we have to go send eight team eight teams to or 32 teams and divide them in eight teams and send them to four different cities how does that work start laying the groundwork right now to make sure that there is a season as for Damian Williams yeah you know what Damian Williams I was thinking about this yesterday Damian Williams is why you should not doubt the sincerity of any player who is opting out of this season because professionally he's probably going to lose because of this because Clyde Edwards, Edwards Hilaire is probably going to, to take the carries. And it's possible that Damian Williams may come back next year and find that his role is evaporated based on what you expect from Edwards Hilaire in that offense. So it's, you know, it, he's making the right decision for him, his family, and you know what, take care of, take care of the MC back next year. And uh, I hope things work out for Damian Williams personally and professionally, but uh, yeah, Edward Solaire now becomes a, a big play fantasy wise and all that. And he's, he should be able to step up right away and produce. Yeah. In terms of a Broncos perspective on that, unfortunately yeah. the Broncos that the Broncos don't get much of a break because I no. don't think you draft a running back in the first round in that offense to have him sit. So it was going to be the Clyde Edward Solaire show no matter what now it truly is. And he goes on and says, and besides Vaughn, who are a couple Broncos players on the roster or from the past two to three years, that you think have the best chance to get into the Hall of Fame, including players not on the team now, but not as far back as Ware and Peyton. Okay, well, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty easy, I think, because two to three years, if we're including, you know, so we would be including Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris Jr., right? Yep. There you go. Because Tlaib was still on the team in 17, and uh, Chris Harris Jr. on the team through 19, so... Yeah, those are the two guys that have the best shot. Yeah, and just talking about the last few years, 
uh, Tlaib has the best shot, then yeah, you put Chris right there. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders isn't going to make it. Demarius Thomas, probably not going to make it either. So, yep, th- those are your two best shots, and Akeem has the best one of them. All decade for Chris Harris Jr. I know they didn't differentiate between first and second team this time, but all decade, if Chris can stack a few more Pro Bowls on his resume and maybe even another All-Pro uh, out in Los Angeles, then he's going to enhance his case. Right now, I'd say he's probably on the outside looking in for the Hall of Fame. He's a lock ring of famer. Yeah. Akeem Tlaib, that the, the pick sixes that he had, that's a, a really cool that's a really cool stat line for him and one that's going to come up, but I do expect they're both going to be at minimum Hall of Fame finalists at some point. Yep, yep, I, I totally agree. So, Count Locula, what's a toy slash collectible that you always wanted as a kid but could never seem to get your hands on? For Count Locula, he says, G.I. Joe, the aircraft carrier, and He-Man Skeletor, Snake Mountain, still haunt me to this day. Love the Count. <laughs> Mace, do you have anything good that you weren't able to get your hands on? I, I don't know if I couldn't get my hands on. The one that I really wanted and it took a while to get, but I finally got was the Millennium Falcon. So. <laughs> and how big are we talking? Oh, it was like about uh, – like Okay, yeah, yeah, big. yeah. about this big. Actually, yeah. one of the things I'm excited about, my, uh, my, my daughter – uh, got me something for uh, a recent gift uh, that we're going to work on because she loves doing Lego and uh, you know we kind of work on them together. It's a fun activity, and uh, obviously my wife got it, but my daughter you know gave it to me. <laughs> it's a Millennium, a Lego Millennium Falcon that we're going to work on. Oh so, man, that, uh, how many pieces are in that puppy? Oh, over a thousand. That's going to be a multi-day <laughs> project for us, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, that is awesome. That sounds like a blast. Um, Boy, I, I can't think of anything that I really wanted that I wasn't able to get my hands on. Um, but when I was really, really young, my favorite present that I ever got was one of those small electric cars that you drive around as a kid in the backyard. Uh, it was green, and I call it the Beep Beep Green Jeep. And it was just, I was in it all the time. Mm. Absolutely loved it. Yep. Mark IT Snatch. Hey, guys, to the DNV Army. What is your favorite convenience store? After leaving it, living in New Mexico for a spell, it's hard not to choose all subs. The freshly fried chimichangas and flautas exist on another plane of culinary existence. Don't get me wrong, Colorado. Come and go is good, but it's just not the same. <laughs> you know well, what? Come and go, it, because it's not in the Denver area, I, I'm not really all that familiar with it. I think I've been in one of them. And I, I, I didn't have food or anything, so it didn't really strike me as anything, spe- as anything special beyond having the, the chuckle-worthy name. Uh, it is a chuckle-worthy name, and I think he has to be trolling. I don't think there's anything special about Come and Go besides the name. Yeah. I, now, for me, the best convenience store, you, you got to go back east. There's a couple. Uh, there's, there's Sheets and Wawa, and uh, Wawa is, has made it down to Florida, and there was um there was one year I was covering the, the league meetings, and my breakfast uh, every day that week when I was covering league league meetings was a breakfast burrito from Wawa that was fresh made and it was terrific. So, <laughs> man, that sounds good. And that's one thing that Denver is is missing. I don't think there's any convenience stores that offer anything special. Like there, there's no barbecue that you get in a gas station like there is in Kansas City. No, yeah. convenience stores are just that to 
you know, get your donuts that are in a little plastic tube and that's it. Oh gosh, don't in a plastic tube, but they don't match up to King Super's donuts. We don't match <laughs> up to Voodoo or Lamar's. <laughs> exactly, they certainly don't. <laughs> All right. After further review, what was the best Broncos game against the AFC East? Keep in mind, seven of them were in the playoffs. Three of those punched the Broncos ticket to the Super Bowl. Two magical moments from Tebow Mania and several instant classics. Have a great weekend and gear up for the AFC South next week. So yesterday I said that it's hard to not pick a Tebow moment. And of course, those two Tebow moments were Miami that kicked off the Tebow run and the Jets. And we've actually talked about both of those games this week. But when you go to a Super Bowl and you have Peyton Manning on your team, Mace, how do you, how do you not choose that? Yeah, and I think you got to choose the last one, the the game that was so exciting and went down the two-point conversion and saw the defense make the stand at the end. That's the one. Although, I will say this. I think I gave the 1998 AFC Championship game against the Jets, I think I gave that the short shrift a little bit because that's a very significant game. Of course, it was John Elway's last home game. And – Everyone knew that it was likely going to be Elway's final home game at that moment. So there was a lot of emotion. The Broncos actually fall behind 10-0 in the third quarter before roaring back and storming past the Bill Parcells and Vinny Testaverde-led New York Jets. So I would be remiss not to mention that for the significance of being Elway's final home game. But, yeah, the, the game against the Patriots in January of 16 takes the cake. Well, and May, speaking of it being the starting quarterback Hall of Famer's final home game, that was also Peyton Manning's final home game Mm -hmm. with the Broncos. And, of course, remember the drama right after that one where uh, a video catches Peyton telling Bill, you know, if this is the last time, you know, it's been a pleasure. And, oh, my gosh, this is the last time. Now, of course, many people really had the feeling that it was going to be anyways. It wasn't breaking news. But for to hear it from Peyton's mouth was something. Yeah, that's oh boy. He, I think he knew what all he knew, and all of us knew that um, the sand in the hourglass was pretty much gone. Um, yeah, there were a few kernels left. Yeah, and then by the second half of Super Bowl Fifty, the hourglass was empty, and it was just, can this team hang on? Can everybody else hang on? Checking down to a run on third down. <laughs> yeah. In what was it was a one score game at that time, right? It was sixteen ten, I believe, yeah. at that moment. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy, I, it, the thing that my wife still talks about when she reflects on that game is being in the stands and in the second half when Peyton went back to pass, everyone kind of held their breath. Oh, wow. That you just you 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 knew it, it hit me at a point covering that game too, watching him. I and I just thought we've. In Seinfeld parlance, you know, we've been left of the slash for a while, and then eventually that car kind of came to a halt. And you know, we were just trying to get, we're just trying to get this car back to back to the dealership and the test drive. And fortunately, the Broncos did it safe and sound. Worked out better for them than it did for Kramer and his buddy from the auto deal, dealership stalling out and <laughs> as they kept going. <laughs> But, hey, you've never felt so alive. (laughs) Next one coming in from Flying Mayan. Hey, guys, happy Friday. Right back at you, Flying. So I've been watching the new Rocky season. 
when they were playing the Texans last weekend, the Texans audio broad broad crew. The, the Texans. Yeah, I don't think it's the Texans. The, it's the, the, the Texas Rangers. Right, so, exactly. Sorry, Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> when they were playing the Rangers last weekend, the Rangers audio crew was playing a home crowd sound effects during the game, including reactions to hits, strikeouts, etc. They were really laying in on it, too. At one point on Sunday, Drew, Drew Goodman said, wow, rowdy Sunday crowd. Sounded like playoff <laughs> baseball at times. The Oakland A's, on the other hand, didn't have any crowd noise, which may have actually made it easier for our pitchers to focus in tight situations. Do you think that this home crowd noise may come to the NFL? Is there anything in place that would prevent a team from doing this? It seems like maybe good way to preserve some degree of a home field advantage. The speakers at the stadium can get pr pretty loud. At mile high, they could play a recording of incomplete. Of course, what would stop a home team sound crew from just outright trolling the visiting team with sound effects? Peyton Manning, maybe. What do you think of home team crowd noise in the stadium? Thanks for the pod and have a great weekend. Go Broncos. It sounds like another opportunity for the powers that be on the, in the NFL to start making some rules because there's already rules about how you can't run the scoreboard and in, in actively try to induce fans to make noise. Um, you can't run music past a certain point. You can't uh, uh, do all sorts of stuff here. So it's something the NFL is going to have to figure out because even the places where they're talking about 20 and 25% capacity, even if they manage to pull it off. And right now I, I have my doubts about that quite frankly, but if you can get 20 to 25% of capacity in the stands, it may not be ideal, but those people are going to make some noise. So you are the jets and the giants and, the state of New Jersey has told you you can't have any fans in the stadium. How do you compensate for that? When you pipe in the noise, is there a decimal level that you don't get past? I mean, there's just all sorts of there's there's all sorts of stuff that has to be worked out. The thing that I want to see that they would not do, um, because you're gonna want they they want to keep it positive, of course. Like when I was watching the Braves Mets game on Sunday Night Baseball at uh, City Field in New York, and Rick Porcello got shelled. <laughs> Huh. and he leaves early and the Mets are behind and I'm like you know what they should have a boo sound effect <laughs> if they really Philadelphia New York certain places they should have a boo sound effect for when the home team is doing well but you know so, so Mace what be positive they can't do that <laughs> blah 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 what you're yeah. saying is uh you want Garrett Bowles to feel at home with uh with the boo sound effect after a hold I'm just saying that I believe very strongly in the concept of corrective booing <laughs> uh, I, I agree with you Mace I think this is all going to be pretty regulated by the NFL and they're going to say here's the maxes you can do and I would imagine every team would just say okay we're cranking it up to 75 decibels or whatever that number is and so it's probably going to be the same all around unless a team wants to freak an opposing team out and just have it be completely quiet which maybe a team or two tries but I think for the most part every team's going to reach their limit yeah, I think so as well. Broncos, Sooners, NY Rangers. Hey, guys, happy Friday and happy end of July. Football is almost here, and I have to say I'm very excited. Let's hope the league stays healthy and safe. My question today, if you could have the, either the Broncos offense or defense finish first in the league next season, what would you pick and why? Assume the opposite unit will come in at 16th in the league. So one is the best and one is average. Hmm. 
Well, I mean, realistically, I think it's it's going to play out very similar to this with the defense being top and the offense being average. But if I could choose the opposite, I would do that because that means you have an MVP quarterback. It means this uh, or MVP caliber quarterback means this running game is clicking. There's no drama between Phil uh, and Melvin or Philvin, as we're calling them. And it means these young offensive players all stepped up to the plate. And then, holy cow, what is your ceiling, Mace? If your offense finishes first this year, what is your ceiling? I mean, it could be record-setting if that's the case. That's true. At the same time, in terms of a championship equation, you are more likely, and the Chiefs are an exception to the rule here recently, but historically, you're more likely to win a title if you have the number one defense and the middle-of-the-pack offense than vice versa. And, which is and, why it's not sexy. I'm taking defense number one. Uh, and also, to your point, it would be incredibly disappointing if this was a truly average Broncos defense. But give me the offense because, yes, Mace, you're right. The defense may be winning the Super Bowls. But if you have this good of an offense, it's likely going to be here year in and year out if it's here just in year two of all of this for Drew. Um, and so – yeah, you may not be winning the Super Bowl every year, but you're going to be in the mix every single year. But I totally understand where you're coming from. Too. Yeah, you, I mean, I just you think about what it takes to win in January. And if you've got, uh, if you've got a great defense and offense is just good enough, that's an equation that a lot of teams have ridden to world championships over yeah. the years. Yeah, it, it's very true, including the just five years ago, uh, 2015 Broncos. No, all – about that and something that you guys know all about is that 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of control but there is one thing you can control and that's shaven below the belt and our friends in manscape can help you do that to the best degree possible with that lawnmower 3.0 which is waterproof comes with the led light so you can manscape in the shower you can even manscape in the shower in the dark because it's waterproof LED light. So wherever you want to manscape, you can do that. However private you want to be. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The Shears 2.0 comes with nail kit and, and also helps you pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. So they've got it all. You can take care of your eyebrows, your nails, and anything below the belt with that lawnmower 3.0. So make sure to get in on all of the action that Manscaped is offering. And listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code DNVR20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off your entire purchase with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use that magical code DNVR20. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns and get that shaving done right. DNVR20 at manscaped.com. You know what else DNVR20 does? It's a magical code for our friends over at Strava Craft Coffee. Rich CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-Cups for your Keurig, whole bean, or ground. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I had to get up early and run an errand this morning. And you know what? I need some Strava Craft Coffee because I need to get going. I am feeling it right now. And some Strava is really going to help me out. Probably going to have a little bit right after we get off of this podcast. Of course, you can purchase this on purchase it online. Like I said, 20% off using the, that code DNVR20. It's rich CBD-infused coffee. You can use in various ways. You can order online. It ships right to you very fast. And also, if you're in the Denver area, try it at Carbon Cafe and Bar, Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, and the Max Market. 
Of course, CBD, it's non-psychoactive, takes you know, all the psychotropic stuff of marijuana, removes it, focuses on the stuff that can help you. It's been known to help long-term migraines, decreasing anxiety, arthritis, et cetera. Hey, you want, if you like it, share your personal story on social media as well and tag us. Supporting our partners is supporting us at DMVR and Strava Craft Coffee is a great partner for us. And remember that magical code DMVR20 for 20% off online. Next one coming in from maybe the dingo ate your baby. That's great. That's (laughs) wonderful. (laughs) Back in the 80s and 90s, the Montreal Expos were a superstar farm team. They applied or they supplied the rest of major leagues with players like Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, and others strolling through only to achieve stardom after leaving. Is there a big miss in Broncos history? Willie Brown, potentially? Well, I'll tell you right now, um, you're worried about Shaq Barrett in this regard. Ah, yes, you are. You, you let him go, and hey, you had Bradley Chubb, you had Von Miller. I get it completely. Shaq Barrett was amazing last year. He was um, better than either of them. He was better than both of them combined. Yeah, so now, that being said, Todd Bowles set him up with some really good opportunities, but still... He did very well. So Willie Brown is, is the big miss. Willie Brown tops that list because he left and he becomes a Hall of Famer. That one, I mean, if you're evaluating the loose Saban era and, area and, and where he went wrong, that is pretty much the top of the list right there. Because Willie Brown was already a good corner when he was with the Broncos. He, is, he, is, he made the Broncos 100, as he should have, even though he's remembered more as a Raider. But, uh, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the big miss. And, uh, honestly, looking back at Bronco history, you think of players they let walk in free agency. You know, Malik Jackson was good, but he didn't necessarily play up to his contract in Jacksonville. Uh, Dave Trevathan letting him go was probably was a, a mistake, but not on the order of Willie Brown. And Shaq Barrett, if he stacks another 14 or 15 sack season on the 19-and-a-half uh, sack one that he had last year, then – yeah, that's going to be the one that uh, qualifies as probably the biggest miss since Willie Brown as far as letting somebody go. Without a doubt. Mace, who are you more worried about for the rest of their career uh, making the Broncos look bad, Derek Wolf or Chris Harris Jr.? Chris Harris Jr. Yeah, me, me too, especially yeah. since you play him. Yeah, and the thing with Chris is there's a path for him to playing another five or six years even if he loses a step and that's moving over to safety, something he did at Kansas and he has the skill set to do. If he's receptive to it, I think he'll probably do pretty well back there. Derek Wolf, I don't think he plays as long as Chris Harris Jr. And that's, yeah. that's part of why I think Chris Harris Jr. is the one that you may regret letting go of. Yeah, exactly. And if Chris Harris Jr. gets to play exactly where he wants and that's purely in the slot, which it looks like he's going to be able to do uh, with the Chargers, then that could, that could raise his game from what it was last year. Very true. Jersey Bronco. My boys! I have finally caught up on the pods, and I want to thank you boys as well as the rest of the community for all the great content that has been keeping me sane and entertained. I was four months behind ever since remote instruction started in Jersey as a middle school teacher that works in a district with little to zero parental involvement. Keeping teenagers showing up and engaged in virtual lessons every day was a real struggle between juggling recording videos almost daily for each class, grading, writing new curriculum for next year, trying to chase down students who haven't checked in for weeks, trying to communicate with parents and working a part-time job. I was losing my mind. I can't thank you 
all enough for this great escape the community has given me, especially since I lost my grandmother to this virus in April. Whenever the Broncos were on TV, I look forward to her calling me to let me know my Broncos were on. I wish I could tell her how much I will miss those calls. Make sure you tell your loved ones that you love them any chance you can. Sorry for the long comment. Much love to you all from New Jersey. Oh, man. Uh, Jersey Bronco, first of all, our, our condolences to you on that. And, I mean, I just – yeah, that's ha- – having a family member, a parent, a grandparent that is, kind of, is with you in terms of that fandom, that's something special. I mean, you, you, you telling me about your grandmother calling you to let you know the Broncos were on, it's – my mom kind of does the same thing sometimes when the Braves are on, so – I kind of, you hit me, man. And um, I really, I really feel awful for you and uh, hope you're hanging in there. Okay. And I hope uh, you'll continue to treasure the memories of your grandmother for stuff like that. That's, that's really touching. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for checking in Jersey Bronco. And so, so sorry to hear that. And uh, man, I can only imagine what life has been like on top of that with everything you said about the job. My mom's a teacher and going to remote in the middle of a school year, I can't even imagine just how difficult it is seeing how, how crazy it is to completely change your job for something that is 100% in person to 100% remote uh, has, has really been a struggle for so many teachers. So man, mm-hmm. to go through that with your grandma, so sorry, but thank you so much for checking in and for still riding with us. And I'm happy that you're caught up. Can't wait to hear from you more. Next one coming in from the big T says, does anyone else get annoyed by lazy reporting? It plagues the National Football League. It really does. None of you three do this much, thankfully, and why I'm still here. But it really pains me to see national media focusing on a player's stats rather than how they play. And then that player gets hyped and they just regurgitate what everyone else is saying. Shake my head. Lazy reporting. I can't remember what year it was, but Elvis Doomerville was lauded as an elite pass rusher by national media because of his numbers. But the amount of coverage sacks he had were plentiful. On the other hand, Robert Ayers was a handful for most blockers, always making the tackle work hard on runs and passes. He'd get pressures, but not get many sacks at all. I never heard a peep about him. We're all susceptible to taking what a reporter says as gospel. And at least what we read and hear influences us. So I would urge you all to judge players on what you see from them on the field rather than their annual numbers. Would love to hear what three journalists take on this is. A view from the other side, if you will. Maybe I need to back down a bit. If you think the invention of PFF and other advanced metrics has hindered or helped this, it gives us more ammunition to bump up a player we love or crap on those we hate, but gives the media that ammunition too. I'd like to think we get more meaningful stats, like time each sack takes. Most of Miller's are fast to help paint the bigger picture. Have a great weekend, y'all. Peace out and love the big T. Well, it's interesting because you can kind of look at uh, both sides of this. I mean, stats stats can reflect production. And some of what PFF has, you know, I think uh, they focus on pressures, or quarterback hits, quarterback hurries. I think that is something that in the pass rush realm in particular is illuminating a little bit. One thing I'll say is that like with Elvis Doomerville, just because a coverage sack doesn't mean it doesn't have value because the ability to continue rushing the passer and not kind of peel off 
that's a skill as well, being able to capitalize on times when the quarterback is lingering in the pocket because coverage is holding up. That is, that's a skill too. So I, I'm not going to sit here and downgrade or denigrate Elvis Dumerville because of the coverage sacks. That's because that, that's something that is an attribute. I would also say this, in any play, and especially when you're talking about pass rush, sometimes it's obvious, like if Von Miller just beats a guy off the edge, boom, gets a sack, that's on him. But a lot of Von Miller sacks over the years were set up by the interior. And in fact, you go back to that AFC championship game in January 2016 that we referenced earlier in the podcast as the, you know, the best game against the AFC East the Broncos have had, or at least the most, most meaningful one. Certainly, you, the, the pressure generated by Malik Jackson and Derek Wolf in the middle, that helps set up Von Miller on the outside as well. That's one of the things that really made the Broncos pass rush in 2015 so fearsome was it was the inside outside mix so there's there's always more to it than what is obvious almost always I should say yeah and it's a piece of the puzzle PFF is a piece of the puzzle if you're not going to look at it well you're missing out on valuable information if you judge everything on PFF well then you're going to miss out on a lot of information as well and Uh, I have some friends that absolutely live and die by PFF, and I try to bring in the other viewpoint. And I have some friends that don't want anything to do with PFF, and I try to bring in the viewpoint of PFF. Um, You know, PFF markets themselves as, you know, every single team in the NFL uses this. Well, because they have some good stats there. Uh, But I don't think teams are setting their draft board and free agency board by PFF's overall grade on a guy. They're probably looking uh, at time that it took to, for, for a guy to, to have an average sack length and, and things like that. So it, you got to take them all and put them all together. I understand what you're saying to Big T about just looking at one number and judging a player off that. And yeah, that, that's not right. Yeah, you know what? Um, the other thing with PFF, I don't really like their rankings at the end point because – we don't see everything, every data point that goes into giving a player, say, an 85.2 rating. But I think that their raw numbers are valuable, and those are the ones that I try to lean on. I, I, like, to, I like to look at, for example, with how they grade blockers, although that being said, sometimes I think especially with zone blocking schemes, they miss on what the responsibility of each, of each blocker is. So, again, it's a good tool, but it's not a be-all, end-all. Right. Right, exactly. Next one coming in from LDJ. Hey, guys, love the pod yesterday. What are the realistic expectations for Vaughn? I think a better question is what it is for Jarrell Casey with Draymond Jones emerging and Shelby Harris underrated. As long as Jarrell Casey can line up anywhere on that D-line and take the double teams, Vaughn's getting 15 sacks since 2015. I can't remember the last time Vaughn has not had to worry about double teams as much. And the NFL has had to ask itself, if we can't double-team Vaughn or Chubb, how do we stop these guys? It's what I'm looking forward to primarily because, much like these offensive weapons, how are you going to stop this entire front seven? How? Only the Washington football team with Chase Young can rival the Broncos, but, man, it's going to be scary. Oh, he- I got I got to sp- speak up, though, here before you move on. The Chargers' front seven is legit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so, very legit. Yeah, I'd actually say the Chargers front seven probably overall is a half step above the Broncos. 
Now they got a $135 million man on their line as well. <laughs> Can you blame him for, for that sort of outlay? I think he's worth it. Yeah, 20, $22 million a year. I'm actually surprised it wasn't more, to be honest. It was four years ago that Von Miller got $19 million. I would have thought four years down the line that number would have been closer to twenty-five. So I'm not saying that they got a steal by any means by paying Joey Bosa $22, but I, I don't think it's a bad contract at all. And remember, Joey's working from the interior as well, 3-4 defensive end, so – that's a little bit more of a more rare of a skill set too. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised it wasn't more, but um, I'd be happy to write that check if I were the Spanishes. He's a rare yep. talent. Yeah, yeah. He goes on and says, "Anywho, question today: Do you buy into Benjamin Albright's idea that Phil and Melvin will be more 50-50? I just keep envisioning Phil being so good, you're not going to be able to take him off the field. However, I found Melvin Gordon's training page on Instagram with film from practices and training camp with the Chargers. I love Phil." He cannot catch the ball and run routes like Melvin. We have to have Melvin in on third downs. It's a must. He's too good, LOL. Yeah. And I think what we're going to see is that Pat Shermer is going to really wrap his arms around what he has and use them both. Yeah. Maybe it starts with a bell cow approach and it fades into more of a timeshare. Yeah, I think he's going to understand. I think he's going to, you know, get get a grasp on what he has and use it accordingly. Pat Sh- Pat Shermer's been around long enough to know how to use assets, right. and having both of these running backs and being productive and shoot early in the season. Vic Fangio says he wants balance. John Elway says the offense is going to be a slow build. What's the most reliable part of the offense in terms of the experience and Pro proven Bowl success? Running backs exactly exactly it just makes sense yeah so. it, it does make sense and that's why i think uh it, you they will run the ball more than people expect and maybe even want but it'll be a good thing for drew uh and i do think melvin gets over 50 percent of the touches at the end of the year but i do think it's it's not going to be totally lopsided yep the other ryan wrapping us up my boys Happy squeaky bum talk and feel good Friday. Mace, please read this. On this date, three years ago, we were given one of the greatest coaches quotes of all time when Darren McKee, DMAC of 104.3 KKFN, the fan, asked then Bronco special teams coach Brock Olivo about what role Andy Janovich would have. In response, Olivo said, Jano. Love Jano. Love Jano. He's Jano, Jano to me. Oh, my. If we had 22 Janos, we'd be all right. <laughs> Mace's talk about Jim Mora's deadly poo quote from October 20th, 1996, following a loss to Carolina, whose defense was coached by his friend Vic Fangio and John McKay yesterday, got me thinking about some of the coaches' all-time great quotes. Mora's playoffs rant following the Colts' 2001 Week 11 home loss to the 49ers and the late Denny Green's diatribe involving coronation and they are who we thought they were from 2006 when the Cardinals should have beaten the Bears, maybe the all-time best. Two of my other favorites are Herm Edwards from October 30th, 2002, stating, stating, hello, you play to win the game. You don't play just to play it. That's the great thing about sports. And one of many from McKay who, when asked by a reporter what he thought of the team's execution, said, I'm in favor of it. As we hope to be hearing from the coaching staff more often in the coming days with training camp 
practices. I was wondering what your favorite coaching quote and, and or rants of all time are. Fangio got things started right by this week by stating they're young men and they have urges. LOL. <laughs> I hope that you each have a wonderful weekend enjoying some Nuggets basketball and baseball down at the DNVR bar. Follows DNV Army salute. Uh, thank you, the other Ryan. And yeah, boy, that was such a good quote by Vic, wasn't it, Mace? Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's just so totally Vic. I mean, I, when he said that, I thought that is so on brand for Uncle Vic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's such an Uncle Vic thing to say. Oh, man. And uh, the other Ryan, I mean, I, I think he absolutely nailed it. Uh, from a Broncos perspective, you have uh, two from Von Miller. When Von Miller had his 12-second press conference, that was kind of an yeah. iconic one. Uh, and then you, of course, have another one where he says, we're going to beat the Cardinals bleeps um, and made that very clear what the Broncos are going to do. And then, of course, the Broncos went out and did that. And then you also have Bill Musgrave saying, I second the beeping motion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, here's one. It's maybe not my favorite, but this is something that I found from a John McKay coach's show in 1983. The Bucks were 0-8, and he went on his coach's show the next day, and there was this exchange. Hi, Coach McKay. Um, we have a very important game this week against Gibbs. We'd like to know how you would suggest you mentally and physically prepare for this game. Amy, I would say at this point in time, this area of the country, I would be the last person you should ask. <laughs> that's great <laughs> wow I like the brutal honesty oh yeah that is some that brutal the honesty person you should ask <laughs> i love it <laughs> oh boy i mean that that's a coach who he's halfway through an unexpectedly bad season they were they they were supposed to be a playoff team that year. They expect they'd been in the playoffs three of the previous four seasons. They lost Doug Williams. They traded for Jack the throwing Smoan Thompson. They thought they were going to have another good team. And it just fell apart and really was the start of 14 bad years for the Bucks. And that's a man who halfway through a season wanted to pack everything up and go play golf in November and December. <laughs> wanted no part of wanted no part of anything. And yet there, there are some infamous clips from his coach's show. Like the first year he had his coach's show, he co his co-host was a, a sportscaster named Andy Hardy. And John McKay had a habit of saying things like, well, if you knew anything about football, Andy, and then he'd get into his point. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and Mace, to bring this show full circle, we have a buzzer beater coming in from Talking Schmidt. He says, happy Broncos Friday. I'll keep it short for you guys today. How many passing touchdowns do you predict Drew Locke will throw this year? Have a great weekend, gentlemen. All right, I think we kind of said it earlier. You're going for 20. I'm going for 21. I'm changing it, though. Oh, that's, come on. Those are my tempered expectations. That, oh. that, that's what I think fans should be acceptable with. I think, man, I'm going, I'm going 26. I'm going 26 touchdowns. But you should be okay with the stat line of 3,700 yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 picks but I think he throws more. I'm saying 21. That's very, very fair. 
to do mace because that's that's temper that's what we need to do that's what john elway told us we need to do man this is a fun one and before we get out of here guys i need to tell you about green mountain dental group in lakewood they're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area and they're extreme colorado sports fans just like all of us and here's the kicker if you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam you'll receive a free sonicare toothbrush that's right all you have to do is take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental Group to hand over a free Sonicare toothbrush. They're only a 15-minute drive from downtown Denver. They're a longtime DNVR partner, so show them the love because they've been showing us the love for a long time now. And guys, check them out. Green Mountain Dental, schedule that cleaning x-ray exam, and you'll get a free Sonicare toothbrush at Green Mountain Dental. Well, Mace, it's been a blast of a week rolling with you. Thanks for being along my side. And thank all of you so much for rolling with us. It means the world when, when you chime in and say hello, uh, when, when we see that you're listening to us. We really, really appreciate all of you. And I hope you all have a safe and fun weekend this weekend. Go enjoy the outside in this beautiful weather. And we'll talk to you on the other side. Make sure to stay tuned to thednbr.com where we'll have some Broncos updates coming from training camp as well. So for Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Thank you all for joining us. Have a fantastic weekend. Waiting for you. Cause I could